Well, turn with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Well, we know these glorious truths that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One, did you know that this morning? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I hope that many of us here today would say a hearty Amen to that. Whoever calls shall be saved. The other thing is also true that there are many times in our lives where it seems as if that's not true. Or at least the truth of it seems to be hidden from us. There are times when our prayers seem to hit the ceiling and then fall down again. It seems as if this concrete seems to stop our prayers ascending. We know that's not true, but but somehow it seems like it is. God seems silent to our cries of help. Do you ever feel like that? You pray and nothing seems to happen. And you pray for good things, right things, and nothing seems to happen. You know, that wonderful opportunity to speak of Jesus seems to fall flat. The prayers are not answered. We pray for the gospel to spread, but instead the opposition seems to grow. Indeed, around the world, people, rather than enjoying freedom, are experiencing more and more persecution. How does that work out? If God is the God who saves, then why isn't he seeming to get us out of problems? Why isn't he answering? Well, Good Friday helps us to answer those questions. It helps us to remember that even though it may seem like God has forgotten us at times, Good Friday says in big neon letters, no way, God has not forgotten us. Indeed, Good Friday helps us to focus our attentions away from our own struggles and brings us to the cross where Jesus went through the darkest of valley for us. And that's the wonder of Good Friday. So Psalm 22, here is a lament that God's people used long before Jesus uttered these words from the cross. David was uh, God's anointed, charged with leading his people, And yet even David experienced the feeling that God had left him, that God was not answering his prayers. We don't know when David felt like this. Possibly when Saul was trying to kill him, or when as king the nations were after him. We don't know. Or even when his son was trying to kill him. We don't know when David felt like this. But what we do know is David did feel that God had forgotten him. He felt the pain of what these verses express. David knew what it was to suffer. And so let us very briefly walk through David's journey from lament to joy as we lead to the cross and indeed on to the resurrection. So let's first of all therefore see from this passage forsaken by God look at verse 1 here we have that 
horrible, soul-wrenching cry, heart-rending cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my groaning? So far from my cries of anguish. See, this is not merely a bad day when everything seems to go wrong. We have those bad days, don't we? Here is a period of time. Indeed, we get the idea that he is crying out again and again. He cries out by day. He cries out by night. He cries out again and again. But what answer does he receive? Nothing. There is no answer. You're silent. There is no relief. And this is particularly hard, verses 4 to 5, because God seems to have answered in the past. People cried out in the past, but you're not hearing me. You've saved others, but you don't seem to be saving me. How? These are the words that David is expressing. It seems like God is a brick wall for all the good it seems to do. It seems unfair and unjust. But what does David keep doing? He keeps crying out. Even though he feels forsaken by God, he is crying out. And David used different creatures. You see the different creatures in this passage? <coughs> he feels like he's a worm. Have you seen a worm in the garden? What do you do when you see a worm? Well, you might squirm, run away from it. You might just walk on the poor thing. But worms are not really something that you look after and care for, is it? They're in the ground, in the dust of the earth. And he feels like a worm. Notice the other animals here. He feels encircled by bulls, lions and dogs. And all those animals are seeking to destroy him. Yet these words, though they were written thousand years before Christ. Do you see how they find their focus in Jesus? And they accurately describe what Jesus felt like at the cross. They give us a window into his own suffering when the Son, yes, God the Son, co-equal with the Father, feels forsaken by God, that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as Jesus hung there from the cross, we can just imagine what he went through. Indeed, like that worm, he's no longer looked on as a brother, but he is scorned and mocked. Look at verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Since he delights in him. Those words must have been like pouring boiling water onto an open wound. They would have hurt. Just think about it. It's as if they are saying that even God himself has given up on him. You get the pain of the cross that Jesus endured. You see something in the dark valley that Jesus went through. My God, my God, why 
have you forsaken me? And as Jesus continues to, to cry out to the Lord to be near him, there is no help, verse 11. But now as he looks, he sees, as it were, many bulls around him. Have you ever been through a field of cows? What do the cows do? Well, most cows actually come up to say hello to you. And they love to sniff you. I don't know if you like that. Um, I don't mind it myself. I used to work in farming. But actually, it can be frightening when lots of cows gather around you to sniff you. It's frightening. But notice here the imagery isn't cows. It is bulls. Aggressive bulls. Many of them. All around him. And he feels surrounded, encircled, and they are trying to crush him. He feels it. And you feel something of his fear here coming out. And as Jesus looks on from the cross, he sees that they are like lions who are roaring, who are wanting to tear him to pieces, to put their teeth in him. Like wild dogs, they are wanting to take from him. And so at the cross, he looks down and what does he see? He sees soldiers um, casting lots, throwing dice for his own clothes. Again, seen here in this psalm, the agony of all that you have taken away from you. And the humiliation of being nailed to a cross naked. Abandoned. We need to get something of this feeling to help us to understand what Jesus has truly endured. Because Jesus was indeed forsaken by his Father. And yet, like David of old, Jesus still cries out to God. Listen to these words here from verse 20. Verse 20. Deliver me from the sword. Notice the reverse order. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Well, praise God, this is not the end of the story. Because Good Friday is called Good Friday for a reason. Notice what we see here, because he's also heard by God. You see, David, throughout this psalm, cried out to God. So verse 1, my God, it's still my God, even though he feels forsaken. Verse 2, I cry out. Verse 8, even his enemies recognise he trusts in the Lord. Verse 9, he has trusted from the very beginning. He has continued to trust in the Lord. Verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Can you see faith coming out? David trusted. And so we can understand how these verses would have really encouraged Jesus at the cross. A friend of mine spoke of these words as earworms. A familiar song people would have remembered. And as Jesus said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So those who knew the song 
would have started singing it. And they would have carried on singing it and reminded themselves of the hope that Jesus was in that fact expressing. That he was heard by God. Because look at verse 21, we see a sharp change here. So sharp that Bible translators want to put a break in the middle of this very verse. And that the footnote of the ESV just helps us a little bit. It says here, save me from the mouth of the lion. And then it says, you have heard me. You have heard me from the horns of the wild oxen. In other words, there is no dramatic rescue here in this psalm. But there is genuine faith. Faith that he has been heard by God. And even in the depths of despair, he is saying, I will praise you. And I will tell others of you. And of your goodness and of your love. But you have not forsaken me. You have stood by me. And you will answer me. That is faith. And he knows he's been heard by God. David heard. Uh, David believed that God heard and indeed, when Jesus cried out, he believed that too. So, verse 24 says, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted ones. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. No wonder this psalm would have encouraged him. And so the cross is not the end of the story. Good Friday is called good for a reason. Indeed, though Jesus did die and was laid into a cold tomb, God heard him and delivered him. Three days later, the tomb could not hold him. He is alive and he's alive forevermore. Praise God for this. Death has lost its power. The Lord heard him. What does all this mean for you and me today? Well, according to Matthew's account, remember what we read earlier? We heard that there was darkness for three hours. Darkness in the middle of the day. Imagine we've got half an hour till noon. Imagine in a half an hour's time, it went like darkest night. That's what it was at the cross. For three hours. We can't help but think that Jesus would have remembered the plagues in Egypt. Though God was redeeming his people, setting them free. In Egypt, there was darkness. And then what happened? What's the tenth plague? The plague of the firstborn. And there at the cross, Jesus was actually taking the curse the plague, if you like. He was taking the curse for his people. The darkness he endured was the very separation that you and me deserve for our sins. And indeed, he paid for it with his very life. And yet, even there he was hurt because the price was paid. Wrath has been satisfied. One hymn writer puts it like this, the father turns his face away from the son, and yet divine wrath was satisfied. 
our sin has been paid for. Because the Lord is indeed the God who saves, who hears and saves. And we need to believe this this morning. And so, as we continue to look at this psalm, what is our response? Well, this, this psalm tells us we're to live for God. In the light of this, we are to live for God. Because David wants to lead his people to praise and live for God. How much more then, through Jesus' suffering on our behalf, should we praise and live for God? How much more? Verse 24 again gives us the reason why we should praise him. Why we should give our lives to him in worship. Look at verse 24. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And this morning, if you have trusted Christ, then you too can know the joy of this. That Jesus has endured all of this for a sinner such as you. Your sin, if you're trusting in him, has been paid for. Praise God for this. And so you can be assured that your sins are forgiven. He went through it for you. So that you can have fellowship with God. He is a brother. So that we can, so that he now leads us in the congregation, as it were. It's an amazing thought. Jesus from the cross could be encouraged that one day, indeed, very, very shortly, in three days' time, he would be leading his congregation, the disciples, celebrating that death has been conquered. And we have that joy today. And therefore, our response is to give our all to him in worship, to give our very lives, to say thank you for all that you have done. Indeed, look at verse 27. Here's a, a glimpse of the results of Christ's work. The families of the nations, not Jews, but the families of the nations, the, 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 the Gentile nations, they will bow down before him, recognising his power. They will put their trust in him. Strictly speaking, the, 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 the Father, they will put their trust in him and proclaim his righteousness through the Son. To a people not yet born, or people not yet unborn, he has done it. In other words, this kingdom is growing. His kingdom is growing. And can I ask you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? There is no other way to be satisfied. Notice the imagery here of rich food, food for the nations. Well, here is food that we can feast on. But you have to come to him. You have to recognise there's no other way to know the joy of sins forgiven but to put your trust in one who bore the weight of sin on his shoulders for us. Notice how these nations then go and tell others. Well, that's what we are to do. Is we put our trust in him so we are to tell others of what God has done for us. But there's just one last thing I want to say from this psalm, and that's this. 
we can also live for God because Jesus knows what it's like to go through suffering and deep valleys. And whatever you are going through right now or have gone through or will be going through, know that no matter how terrible it is, Jesus has suffered too. You know, people say things when they hear that we're going through a terrible thing. People say, say to you things like, I understand. And we know what they mean, but really they don't understand. They don't know what we are going through at this time. They really don't. Because it's us that are suffering, not them. But Jesus says, I know what you've gone through. Because he really has gone through so much worse than any of us. And he went through it for us. And so we can say that whatever you're facing, no matter how terrible it is, Jesus has suffered too. And therefore you can rest in God's faithfulness because of his suffering. He has walked through that for us. Isn't that amazing? Rest in God's faithfulness, for Jesus has walked through the darkest valley for you. This passage is like a landing lights in a storm. You know, when a plane is coming, they can't always see where to go, but then through the gloom, the lights shine out. And whatever you're going through, this passage is saying, you can land on Jesus. Put your full weight on him. Wait for the dawn. Trust him in the darkness. God has a purpose. I want to close by reading these words. It's an old prayer, uh, so forgive the language, but I think you'll understand why I'm reading it. From a, a book of prayers called The Valley of Vision. Lord, high and lowly, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can, seen, can be seen from the deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thine stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Amen. And it's because of Jesus that we can pray that prayer because he has gone through the deepest, darkest valley 
for us.